Hello, and welcome to Cover to Credits, the bi-weekly podcast where we discuss books and their movie adaptations. I'm Ian George. And I'm Adina Hilton. In this episode, we'll be discussing The Hunger Games. The Hunger Games was written by Suzanne Collins and was published in 2008. And the film adaptation, which came out in 2012, was directed by Gary Ross. And here we are, finally doing The Hunger Games. Yeah. It's only been five years of the podcast, Ian. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we've, we we did Twilight as yes. our first YA series. Then we tackled Harry Potter. Which took a long time. That was eight episodes yep. yeah mm-hmm. and i know we were kind of like putting this one off because it feels like the last big ya uh phenomenon series phenomenon of like the past 20 years i agree uh i i'm kind of shocked though that it came out as recent the first one as recent as 2012 yeah because i was like surely i was in in high school still when the first one came out but no I was in college at this point. Well, they all came out pretty quickly after one another, the books and the movies. Yeah, they did. It was a did. pretty tight turnaround on them. I mean, we we were always knew yes. we were going to do this. Yes. It was just a matter of when. And here we are. We've earned it, Ian. <laughs> <laughs> we have. Uh, I, I think part of the decision, too, was the fact that this prequel book is coming yes. out by Suzanne. Or is the book out? The book's out. The okay, movie is the in The movie, they're in, it's in development. I know they released one photo from it. Mm-hmm. I have not read that. You haven't read it. We know no. nothing about any of that. So none of that is factoring into this episode or future. Only ones. the hype is factoring in. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. We're we're drawing off that hype. We're, yes. we're drinking the juice. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so huge franchise. I'm so excited to get into it. And I mean, this is the, the franchise that launched... Jennifer, Jennifer Lawrence's Jennifer, career. Yeah, in, into the stratosphere. Yeah, I'm very excited. Let's jump in and talk about this dystopian world that we're in, This right? hellscape. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure most of you are familiar with the plot of The Hunger Games, but in case you're not, we'll just do a little recap of, like, the country Pan Am. Pan Am, yeah. And then the 12 districts that surround it. I wish we had a map, Ian. I know. <laughs> yeah. But then again, I don't like I'm not a map person. Oh, I'm a map girl. It depends. Like in this story, the they they travel by railway mm-hmm. from just like district to district. And like the actual geography doesn't matter as much. Yeah. But knowing that this is like North America. Yeah. In like a climate climate changed ravaged future like part of me is interested <laughs> yeah especially because district 12 is near where we live yeah. in appalachia yeah yeah it's interesting because pan am is the country but it sounds like it's just the capital right so yeah. i want to know like how much space the capital and pan am takes up that's true and then where the districts lie in geography because it really kind of sounds like it's just one big city and then all the districts. Well, here's the thing that's interesting or what I picture that is kind of unusual is I think a lot of people would imagine like, oh, District 12 bumps up right against District uh, 11 and 10. And yeah. then those two like big chunks, you know, like states. Yeah. I bet it's more like cities. Mm. Like there's just a city here and then a lot of wilderness and then it like does a city seem there. Like that. Yeah. Because District 12 
And I think part of its depiction in the movie is, I mean, honestly, due to budget. Like, yeah. it's, it, it feels like a town. Mm-hmm. But it also feels that way, too, in the, the book as well. Well, I think in the book, they specifically say there's only 8,000 people that live in District Oh, 12. I didn't even remember a, like, uh, a yeah. census number. <laughs> Which is, like, a, a pretty small city. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> So that makes sense. I, I think it's kind of just like little isolated pockets, pockets mm-hmm. where kind of the wilderness is all around them and they don't really venture into it. Yeah, it is interesting, though. And in the beginning of the movie, we're kind of given a quick like text recap about yeah. Pan Am, the districts, and then we're introduced to the Hunger Games. The book gives us this information slowly. We follow Katniss, the main character, Throughout, like, kind of her morning routine, she's getting up, she's noticing things, she's interacting with her environment, and hints are dropped, information is revealed to us. But uh, let's talk about the Hunger Games, Ian, and the role that this system plays every year in this country. Yes, 75 years ago, roughly, uh, the district's had a rebellion against the capital. Mm-hmm. They ended up losing. And when the capital regained control, they instated the Hunger Games. Yes. As a fascist, awful, shitty way to remind everyone that they are under the boot heels of the capital. Yes. Every year from every district, a boy and a girl are chosen at random uh, between the ages of 12 and 18 to compete in the Hunger Games. So 12 districts, two from each district, that's 24 competitors, and they have to fight to the death. So. Yes, children, children do. Yes. Also, it's worth mentioning up front that a lot of people have pointed out, and it is true, that The Hunger Games is really, really similar to a film that came out years ago known as Battle Royale. Yes. Uh I forget if it's Korean or Japanese. I think Japanese. That's what I wanted to say. um, There's also like kind of a really heavy Battle Royale-esque tradition in Japan. Like there have been other like kind of manga and series that kind of draw on that. So it's a popular theme. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Some people have criticized uh, Suzanne Collins for this Mm -hmm. and saying that she directly ripped it off. I think it's fair to draw parallels. But honestly, and I kind of wrote down some notes about this, like, this idea is really common. Yeah, it's like, <laughs> not to shit on Suzanne Collins or anyone, but it's not an, a, like a super original no. idea. In fact, she has cited various inspirations for it. Kind of her, it's also kind of like a commentary on reality TV. Yes, The yeah. war in Iraq was also an inspiration for her. Um, but specifically, she talked about her love for Greek mythology. Which, if you've read her other middle grade series, you'll also notice parallels to Greek mythology in that series. Oh, yeah, yeah. But she references uh, the myth of Theseus and the labyrinth. Mm. So the myth of Theseus is that um, there are two cities in Greece that something happened. They went to war with each other. And as punishment, the one city demands like six girls and six boys from the other city that have to be sacrificed to the Minotaur in the labyrinth. I forgot about that element of the labyrinth and Minotaur and all Mm -hmm. that. And so these youths that are being thrown in as kind of this sacrifice and tribute, right? As a reminder. And and yeah, to keep this like city in line and to kind of punish them. Mm -hmm. Um, And that idea of trying to like beat the maze and outsmart it. Yeah. So yeah, Suzanne Collins specifically references that as an inspiration for this story. And I mean, other people have brought up like The Lottery by Shirley Jackson, that short story, you know, as well as Battle Royale. So um, I think it's fair and totally legitimate to bring up the other sources. But this idea 
is not original in the first place. So I don't no. think you can claim that she like owes Battle Royale anything. Like No, and I mean the the larger world that Suzanne Collins kind of creates yeah. from this, the characters I I think feels unique enough to this property and yeah. this series that you know, it's worth, like you said, pointing out the comparisons, but beyond that, mm-hmm. yeah, so that's the gist. Uh, they have to <laughs> sacrifice children in a horrible televised reality TV event that goes on every year. Yeah, but also re- kind of like the gladiators, too. Yes, yeah, mm-hmm. similar to that, too. I really love, though, in the book how just slowly this information is just leaked to the reader. Yeah. And I mean, a lot of people who go into this book and based on kind of the description, probably know what's kind of going on in general. Yeah. But there are elements of the Hunger Games that you don't even know about until you are reading about her in the Hunger Games. Yeah. And then you're like, oh, the cornucopia, or like, oh, the way the they'll manipulate the playing field. Yeah. Or so many things that Suzanne Collins, like, I don't, as far as I remember, there's no one part where it's just described to us what's going no, on. No, there are no info dumps necessarily. Yeah. There is one part when the reaping's about to happen and they're watching like the propaganda video mm-hmm. where the narrative is kind of like, this is what happened when the districts rose up against the Capitol, but it fits in that scene, right? Because yes. they're watching this video, they're recapping the history, they're being reminded as to why these Hunger Games exist. And if there's one thing tied strongly to fascism, it's like propaganda. Yes. And just reaffirming all that mm-hmm. uh, national kind of bullshit. Yeah. So Katniss is 16, mm-hmm. eligible for the Hunger Games when the story begins. Yeah. And she has that on her mind because it's Reaping Day, but also just like general day to day life, like feeding your family. You're yeah. S- she has a sister who is 12. Mm-hmm. It's her first year being eligible for the Hunger Games and a mother as who she also provides for. Yeah. The history of the family is really sad. We mentioned that District 12 is uh, kind of loosely set in Appalachia somewhere. Primarily coal mining is their industry there, and most workers do that. And Katniss's father died in a mine explosion when she was 11 or 12. And so when that happened, Katniss had to provide for her her family, not just because um, her dad had died, but because her mom was kind of so debilitated by grief that she almost became catatonic. Yeah, and it was completely up to Katniss to feed herself and Prim. Mm -hmm. And essentially, the whole of District 12 is so just struggling with food shortage and poverty that they can't even really seek help from anyone. Mm -hmm. It's mentioned that there's a essentially an orphanage that they could go to, but Katniss knows that it's a very terrible place and doesn't want to go. Yeah, there's a threat of them starving when her father dies and also kind of every day, even though Katniss at this point when she's 16 has learned to hunt and to um, forage for food and to kind of take care of the family to provide for their family because they don't have an income from their father, their mom, you know, after she's kind of recovered from this incident, will take in kind of patients as sort of like a local healer. Yeah. But they really rely on Katniss going into the woods, which is against the law, to leave the fenced-in area of the district, and to hunt, which is also against the law. So Katniss is really risking her life to provide for the family, and this is something that is not necessarily what they're supposed to do. And they also get food from having the kids add their name more times 
to the Hunger Games ballot pool, right? Like every child, like every teenager between 12 and 18 gets their name put in the Hunger Games, right? Every year. Yeah, one time automatically. Mm-hmm. But the, so it's like one time when you're 12, two times when you're 13, three, and, and so it goes. But also every year you have the opportunity to add your name more times for every member of your household in order to get more food for your family. So literally the name The Hunger Games really ends up portraying people's desperation to feed and provide for their families. Yeah, it's a really good point. It's not just the conditions of the games itself, but also the conditions surrounding it that everyone lives in day to day and what Mm -hmm. drives these kids to have to make a huge sacrifice for their families by like putting their names in so many times for food and provisions and and things like that. Yeah. Yeah. On the day of the reaping, Katniss kind of goes out as usual and is hunting in the woods. This is where we kind of hear about her history. Her dad taught her a lot about foraging in the woods and hunting and things like that. And that's where she meets her friend Gail, who also is doing the same exact thing for his family. Yeah, they hunt together. They met years ago in the woods and have kind of become partners helping each other out and Especially sharing in terms of trying to provide for each other's families, too, when they can. And especially if they ever go to the Hunger Games, either Mm -hmm. of them, they've kind of promised each other to, like, help out. Yeah, this is Gail's last year. So he's 18 and he's in he's his name is in there a lot yeah um and he's providing for his family too his father also died i think in the same mine explosion but you know he has his mom and siblings to provide for just like katniss does they have this discussion in the book and the movie when they're out hunting and gail is kind of like we could go off in the wilderness and just live mm-hmm. together, the two of us. Like, we could survive. And Katniss is obviously like, I mean, you have your family to look after. I have my family. Yeah. And, you know, kind of being like, I, yeah, this is a fantasy, obviously. Mm-hmm. They also have just, like, a lot of other big discussions, too, uh, about the capital, the kind of, the, the form of fascism that they're living under. I really like in the movie, there's a scene where Gail is talking about what if we all refused to watch the Hunger Games? Yeah. Kind of acknowledging the spectatorship of it all. Mm-hmm. And if the districts opted not to watch, would that change anything? Yeah. So discussions they can't have usually, but out in the woods by themselves, they're able to. Yeah, it feels like the two of them are able to communicate to each other. In the book, Katniss talks about being able to be herself and let her guard down a bit when she's in the woods with Gail because in the district she's always either having to present a strong front for her sister and mother or she's trying to not let anything too bad about the capital slip out because the peacekeepers aka the police are everywhere. (laughs) I have to say in the film the peacekeepers <laughs> they are so they, dumb they looking look so dumb. The, the outfits are terrible yeah they all look too small i know their helmets look too small <laughs> their, their vests look too small yeah i know they might have been going for a stormtrooper thing with like all the yes. light but it just does not work for them i agree i i know in the next movie i think they improve the the look because <laughs> i outfits. remember they have like an all black visor i think later on so okay. thank god but they just look really dumb yeah i also kind of wish the movie had expanded on this point a little bit too or the the book or movie where i kind of wonder like where do the peacekeepers come from yeah 
I think it makes the most sense that the capital would recruit people from the districts to be peacekeepers, probably in districts that aren't the ones they come from, so they don't have any kind of allegiance to them. Yeah. Because I can't imagine anyone who lives in the capital wanting this job. I know. And and why would they? And why would they? And it makes sense that, oh, well, you can offer like a nice paycheck and, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, provide for your family. Provide for your family if you become a peacekeeper. And that's also pulling out anyone who could possibly be a fighter in a resistance against the capital. Yeah. And I think that would be really interesting if, uh, you know, characters kind of struggle with that decision mm-hmm. and it, it's at least acknowledging further how the capital divides the districts and yeah, causes and how them to the, fight the amongst themselves. The power is kept in place and things like that. Yeah. yeah. So I wish that was expanded on a little bit more. I don't, think the books later on talk about it but i could be wrong yeah it's been a while since i've reread these yeah books, so yeah if we are missing something our apologies <laughs> we will redact this in the next episode <laughs> <laughs> okay let's talk about the reaping now because this is one of the most important scenes i think in the book and the movie yeah and i just love how this plays out like In the movie, it's very kind of shaky and disorienting, right? These kids are being like kind of herded through. They're being checked in. They're waiting to hear whose name is called. Yeah. And then, of course, of course, Prim's name is called Katniss's sister. The movie sells, I mean, this whole reaping scene so well. The fact that there's no score or music in it, I think, is very effective. There's just kind of this awkward uncomfortable uncomfortable horror that's just on clearly on everyone's face also like the extras in it Mm -hmm. are because you know sometimes there's a lot of extras especially young ones you're kind of looking like is anyone looking dumb (laughs) is anyone overacting right now but the extras did well uh but yeah when prim is called there's just one shot of katniss and she's just kind of like looking down yeah like just completely stunned yeah because prim's name was only in the the drawing for one like one slip had her name mm-hmm. on it so the chances are crazy yeah they're so low and you can see prim not knowing what to do and and finally she st- kind of starts walking up effie up on the stage is like come come dear come yes. come come <laughs> and prim is just like i don't know what to do it's only when prim starts walking up that katniss i think is unfrozen yeah from her shock and she sees prim walking up and she's like no mm-hmm. right like i have to stop her almost like stepping on that stage is like taking her away you know yeah and it's such a smart decision by suzanne collins to make this a moment where katniss isn't just like picked yeah and thrown into this story that she makes a choice yes that begins this journey to save her sister mm-hmm. it's just brilliant I know. And her saying I volunteer and her coming up and walking up and then Prim like trying to stop her and screaming and then Gail's pulling her away. It's so dramatic. And like you said, it's silent. Yeah. And nobody's really like even reacting. It's just these like kind of people that are experiencing it that Mm -hmm. are reacting audibly it's just so dramatic and of course it's really great when Katniss steps up and Effie is like oh we have a volunteer like you know clap for this this tribute and nobody claps yes yeah just you could hear a pin drop yeah of course they give like the the symbol the signal with like the three finger salute (laughs) (laughs) there's so many iconic 
I mean, the marketing for this movie was just handed so much. To I be know. Like, oh, we have so many. We have the whistling from later on. We have the, the Mockingjay the pin, the three-fingered salute. There's yeah. like so many elements. Mm-hmm. Katniss's braid. Yes. <laughs> uh, so then she's up on stage and then they call the boy tribute, which mm-hmm. ends up being PETA. Yeah. I, I love, too, that... You know, in the book, we're not introduced to PETA or he's not mentioned until this moment, which I appreciate. And I also appreciate the film not showing him. Yeah. We just the first time we see him is him in the crowd looking stunned Mm -hmm. that his name was called. Yeah, I think he has a great reaction to this, too, because you can just see that he's devastated. Mm -hmm. But he also is like just kind of propelled forward. Yeah. um, Like Prim was, too. Should we talk about the flashback scenes here and like the description of the history of Katniss and Peeta. In the movie, we get a couple flashbacks that don't really describe anything before we get the full flashback of what happened between them. No, I also feel like the context for the flashback is never fully described in the film. I know. Essentially, shortly after uh, Katniss's dad died and she was trying to provide food for her sister and her mother, mm-hmm. and I mean, she was what? 11 or 12. 11 or 12. And was just struggling and, and essentially starving to death. Mm-hmm. She was kind of just in a ball on the street. And Peta, she's kind of watching the bakery where Peta's parents work and mm-hmm. he worked. And she hears a ruckus. And this is more described in the book because Peta burnt some bread. And he goes out to feed the burnt bread to their pigs. Mm-hmm. And then he sees her and throws a loaf to her. Yeah. And it's only later that she considers the idea that Peta burnt the bread on purpose mm-hmm. so that he could go out and throw one to her. Yeah. And she's felt this weird kind of debt towards him ever since. Or more of an awkwardness. Yeah. She knows he did her this kindness that she never repaid Mm -hmm. and I think she feels weird about that yeah she doesn't know how to repay it and also she's like she's fiercely independent right and I think this comes from I'm like this comes from a lot of trauma right (laughs) like (laughs) maybe we, we haven't talked about it that that much but like her having to become the provider for her family her having to become the parent for her mom and for her sister, like that really does something to somebody. And I think she is just totally messed up, right? Like, and anyone that lives in this society honestly would be just the way that things are um, in this country and in this system. And it's really sad to see because you can tell in the book, especially that things are not good between Katniss and her mom. No, I really liked this moment when she is saying goodbye to Prim yeah. and her mom. And she hugs Prim and they have words together. And then she goes up to her mom and is like, you got to fucking step up. Yeah. I'm going to be dead almost for <laughs> for sure. Yeah. And Prim is going to be all your responsibility and you have to watch out for her. Yeah. And I love this moment. I know. She's so mean to her mom, but you know where it's coming from. And you, you know that she does love her mom. She's actually like afraid to be vulnerable with her. Yeah. Because of just how... Horrifically, her mom failed her at a really young age, you know? Yeah. And I think those walls that she's built up to protect her vulnerability are affected by PETA, right? Because, Mm -hmm. and we'll talk about PETA more as we get into the story, but PETA is somebody who does not have walls, right? No. PETA is somebody who just gives of himself 
you know, out of kindness and just his, like what he, he does what he wants to do and he's not afraid of intimacy. Whereas Katniss has so many reasons why she is afraid of that. Yeah. And I think the book does a good job of explaining too, that, you know, PETA came from not like a great family. Like yeah. his mom was abusive and it's not like they were like eating great meals every night. Yeah. But he was a, from a more stable environment than Katniss yes. and, you know, had a little bit more of a, luxury in his life Mm -hmm. and he's not quite as able to do what needs to be done as Katniss is yeah but he's able to maybe give more yeah so I think there's a really good contrast between them there really is yeah I I love this a lot and I like seeing their characters and how they play off each other yeah uh they are on the train now they're they're heading out to the capital things move quick once once they draw for the reaping then you're on a train you're heading to the capital (laughs) this is where we meet Hamish a little earlier in the book but in the film this is where he's introduced played perfectly (laughs) perfectly by woody harrelson oh my god i cannot picture anyone else no as Hamish. he's so good honestly the casting in this movie i know across the board there's like not a miss. I know. It's so good, whether it's like obviously Jennifer Lawrence, mm-hmm. Stanley Tucci later on. Yeah. Uh, why, why am I forgetting Elizabeth Banks? Yeah. As Effie. Mm-hmm. I, just everyone is so good. And I, this is kind of a common thread, I think, across these young adult franchises. Yeah. Where a lot of times the director of the first movie doesn't direct anymore. Yeah. Or like in Harry Potter, it was two and mm-hmm. then other directors. And a lot of times they're not considered the best of the franchise or the most memorable. But the thing a lot of them do so well for those big franchises is get the casting like just right. Exactly. Yeah, I agree. The casting for this movie is so good. And Hamish is so funny. You know, Hamish won the Hunger Games Hunger Games a number of years ago. Yeah. <laughs> but now he's just a drunk, right? And we're kind of introduced to this idea on the train here as PETA and Katniss are rapidly having to accept their new reality that mm-hmm. they're going to be in the Hunger Games. And we find out more about how the Hunger Games works, right? Like in the arena when shit's hitting the fan, sometimes the only thing that's going to save you is not your wits or your strength. It's your sponsors. Yeah. So Hamish and Effie, their jobs as the coaches and kind of the mentors for PETA and Katniss are to get a bunch of rich people to give them shit for the Hunger Games. To bet on them. Yeah. I think that's something the Hunger Games does. You know, we talked about other Battle Royale style uh, shows and movies, you know, another one being Squid Games. And the justification for a lot of these is like oh the rich people are betting yeah on this. yeah and I, I think squid games really explored the class balancing thing a lot mm-hmm. but i think the thing hunger games does better than all of them is this idea of the voyeurism of it all yeah and them constantly being on camera constantly having to perform needing people to like them it not just being a uh situation of survival but also yeah. of Likeability. Uh, Likeability. And I mean, God, like factoring in like the idea of social media age Mm -hmm. into this as well. Yeah. Having an angle, right? Mm -hmm. Like having a persona and really pitching that and making yourself likable. And Katniss struggles with this right away because she doesn't want to do that. And I think (laughs) she's not good at it. (laughs) and And I think it's totally fair, right? Why should she try to make herself look great to all these people who just want to see her dead? You yeah. know what I mean? 
mean? All these people who have never had to struggle for anything in their life, you know, she doesn't owe them anything. But at the same time, her very life depends on trying to smile and wave and look pretty, you know? Yeah, and all the anxiety that comes from that and Mm -hmm. her having to think about every word she says and the way she appears at all times. Meanwhile, PETA is just like a natural born star. I know. He's just... (laughs) He's so good. Yeah, he's just charming. He's sweet. He's handsome. Yes. He's got it all. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, They arrive at the Capitol, Mm -hmm. and they are quickly whisked away to be fitted for their outfits for their introductory ceremonial. The chariot riding. (laughs) Yeah. I love describing how Katniss is like, oh, God, they always do themed outfits every year. <laughs> like the coal mining yeah. theme is so bad. Like every year it's so like cheesy. I love the description of one year trying to like sex it up and they just were naked with like coal dust on them. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently nudity is a frequent occurrence yeah. around the Hunger Games. Uh, so Katniss is just already like, oh, my God. And but she agreed to Hey Mitch that I will do mm-hmm. whatever my stylists tell me. Yes. And this is where we're introduced to Cinna. Played by Lenny Kravitz I in this movie. I didn't recognize him I didn't at all. either. I was just like, how did they get him to do this? And why did he say yes? Like, <laughs> Yeah. And uh but he's so I mean, good. He's great. He, another yeah. great casting. Like he's, I mean, he's a good looking guy. He's kind of got this like soft intensity to him. Mm-hmm. Effortlessly stylish. Yes. But also very personable mm-hmm. uh, to Katniss. Yeah. And he has this like amazing uh, idea for like fake fire and yes. flames and like, you know, oh, you burn coal. So let's do a fire theme. Mm-hmm. And so, of course, when they are on their chariot and going down the uh, I don't know what you'd call the it. The runway? The runway? The chariot <laughs> runway? I don't know. <laughs> the horse runway. Yeah. <laughs> uh, they're kind of the showstopper and really, like, amaze everyone. Yeah. In the book, Cinna tells them to hold hands. And in the movie, Peta just kind of grabs Katniss's hand and is like, they'll love it. Yeah. But they kind of hold hands and, like, raise them up together, presenting them as a team. And I find this interesting. The movie doesn't get into this at all. But the book is kind of going into detail about how actually a lot of the times the two tributes from each district kind of ignore each other. Yes. Because they're not on a team. They have to kill each other, right? Yeah. But the fact that she and Peta are presenting this united front is very subversive. Yeah, and and kind of an act of defiance almost. Like subtle defiance, right? Yeah. I want to talk here about something that was kind of like weighing on my mind, especially while watching the movie and – we're introduced to these very fashionable, and, and I say fashionable in the context of the film, right? It's yeah. very garish and colorful. And, mm-hmm. um, but there's something about the depiction of this upper class society in the capital that kind of has a lot of what feels like a lot of queer subtext to it. Yeah, I agree. Like, they're all in, like, these lavish outfits. You could almost describe what they're doing is drag, right? Yes. It feels yeah. very campy. Very right? campy. And there's also a lot of like kind of um cross like no one's there there's no like strong gender norms. It doesn't yes. feel like, you know, um Cinna has like kind of this gold flecked eyeliner. Mm-hmm. Uh Caesar is just like in these like ridiculous, like flashy, colorful outfits, like makeup and mm-hmm. colors and, and like you said, drag is a great, you know, kind of comparison for it. And I understand 
the intention of this, and it's, it's described the same in the book relatively, this kind of opulence and mm-hmm. this just indulgence. And, and, and fashion is very much a thing that is kind of only enjoyed by the wealthy for the yeah. most part. Yeah, But it also, the, the queerness of it, at least the way it feels specifically in the movie, you know, there's this idea by many people on the right that Hollywood and subsequently like the LGBTQ community and transness is like tied up in the upper crust society and Mm -hmm. that like they're the people that are oppressing controlling everything yes controlling everything and oppressing like lower class America middle class America which if you if you look at the districts they are very much depicted as like working class Joes like blue collar very 50s outfits yeah yeah and so the idea that the capital is kind of this colorful queer looking environment and that the districts are very gender normed rugged and you know it it, kind of gives me a weird vibe that I don't love yeah I agree with you it's not overtly saying anything but I think you do have to think about the impression that you're giving right and especially when you have characters that look very androgynous or might be considered to be more gender fluid right yeah and equating that with the capital which is supposed to be like horrific and terrible right yeah and you're like okay i know that's not what you're saying but it kind of feels like it's one of those things where i could picture someone who's very conservative watching this movie and getting the wrong impression from it and being like oh yeah those hollywood lib Mm -hmm. uh lgbtq people not the uh, salt of the earth appalachians you know (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah so i think that could have been maybe like handled just like a little bit better and and to give credit to suzanne collins and this story there are plenty of characters in the capital like uh cinna Mm -hmm. and effie and even uh caesar to a degree that aren't like bad people no it's not like everyone in the capital is an evil villain directly yeah a terrible person or anything yeah but i you know you still have to consider the depiction of it yeah i agree i'm glad you brought that up um after the what is it presentation of them (laughs) uh the horse presentation uh they end up doing their training and this is where Peta and katniss kind of have to study what they want to study before they go into the games um and there's a little bit of strategy here on whether they show off their talents to the rest of the group or not yeah it's interesting because there are what are called the careers or the career tributes which are people from the upper districts districts one two and three maybe who those districts tend to be a little bit more affluent a little Mm -hmm. wealthier and they actually even though it's technically illegal train young people for the hunger games and they volunteer yeah so i mean they're well fed they've been training for this you know they know how to use uh spears and knives and weapons so uh there's kind of this intimidation factor from them and i guess also it's common for them to team up Mm -hmm. at the beginning of the hunger games and kind of hunt down the rest of the people yeah so there's also you know it's not just all the districts united in this effort against the capital or all mm-hmm. kind of being on the same side. Like there's also division within the district. Yeah. There's inequality all around. Yeah. For yeah. sure. Yeah. And this all culminates in a session where each of the tributes gets to show off their skills in front of the game makers. And then the game makers based on that presentation, give them a score rating. And that rating also helps them with tribute or with sponsors yes. and the money that they'll get in the game. So they want to get a high score. 
unfortunately for Katniss, she's the last one to go. Yes. And the game makers are like really tired. They've been drinking. <laughs> they bring out a roast pig. Yeah. I love the scene in the movie where he's like, hey, who brought the pig? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love that too. And Katniss is just so pissed off. Yeah. And of course, this leads her to firing an arrow. Not at them directly, but at the apple in the roast pig's mouth. Yeah. And it's just like, oh shit, like dead silence and she just kind of storms away. Yeah, I love her bow and her like, (laughs) thank you for your consideration. Uh, In the book, she's actually pretty worried about after she does it, she's like, oh shit, like this, they could maybe go after my mom or sister after this. In the movie, she's not as worried, but I do love Hamish's reaction. <laughs> Hamish is just asking how, <laughs> how they reacted, and he's like so happy she did it. I know. He's like, oh, I would have loved to see their faces. <laughs> <laughs> I think the book and movie do a good job of, you know, Katniss in one way kind of behaves in the way we wish we would behave in that situation. Yeah. Kind of standing up a bit and Mm -hmm. kind of making your opinion known to a degree. Yeah. But also effectively capturing the negative aspect of that, you know, kind of the the drawbacks of being kind of hot-headed and reacting on impulse and... And the consequences that she could face, right? Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, next we have the, the interviews where Caesar Flickman... The TV anchorman of this universe. Stanley Tucci. Stanley Tucci. the best role he's ever been in. I would argue that this is his best role. <laughs> Although, I do like him in Julian Julia. I That was the other one I was just <laughs> thinking of. Uh, yeah, I mean, he just chews up the scenery. He's just yeah. so great. I love his laugh. Yeah. <laughs> his very toothy smile. Uh-huh. It's unsettling in the perfect way. Uh, but this is, again, their last chance to kind of get people to like them, to kind of spin an image for people to root for and to get sponsors for the games. You know, Katniss does an okay job, but then PETA gets up there Mm -hmm. and drops a bombshell. My favorite part of this interview is (laughs) the light cross PETA and Caesar, like kind of mimic, like PETA mimicking Caesar's posture. Like they both laugh at the same time, lean back in their chairs and like cross their legs in the same way. (laughs) Like PETA. (laughs) It's so great. But PETA reveals to Caesar that the girl that he likes is not in fact back home in district 12, but Mm -hmm. with, him and we'll be joining him in the hunger games yes and this is like a huge shocking revelation everyone's oh my god in the narrative. And, and talking about it mm-hmm. and of course as soon as Peta sees katniss again she pushes him yeah <laughs> in the book she accidentally well on purpose pushes him into a vase yes. and cuts his hands i this was part of what i was thinking of with her being hot-headed and kind of yeah. showing like the bad side of that yeah um but in the movie she just shoves him against a wall mm-hmm. and it's kind of like how dare you speak my name <laughs> how um, dare you imply <laughs> that i'm attractive <laughs> and like Hamish hey, and peter kind of talk her down and are like this is the best strategy that you two have is to kind of spin some interest in the two of you in your story, right? Yeah. Like, what will keep people watching? What will get the ratings high, right? Yeah, in the movie, I, I love Hamish hey specifically. Like, remember, this is a television show. Yeah. And kind of reminding Katniss that, yeah, it's a fight to the death, but televised and so much of what happens is mm-hmm. based on that. Yeah. So crazy. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Let's go to the rooftop scene. Yeah, we have the night before the games and, you know, Katniss and Peeta 
end up on the roof together and talking. And we get this part where PETA is kind of saying, like, I know I'll probably die. Yeah. And I know I'll probably have to kill people in there. And, like, I'll, I'll do it. But I don't want to become someone I'm not. And I don't want the games to change me. And I also don't want the capital to think that they own me. Yeah. And I love, too, because Katniss is kind of taken aback by this. She's so focused on surviving and what she'll have to do to survive Mm -hmm. that the idea of maintaining her sense of self isn't even in her head, essentially. Yeah, and I think, too, she's surprised because PETA has been somewhat effortlessly playing the game. Yeah. Right? But for PETA to make this statement and to be like, I am myself, and in the end, I don't want them to take that away from me. Yeah, and I mean... How much more, like, capitalism could this story be right now? I know. In terms of, like, these systems that we're pushed into and how do we maintain our sense of morality when we are kind of forced to live in a way that, you know, is is terrible, right? Yeah. You know what I mean? Where we can't help the pe- people we wish we could help in the way mm-hmm. that we want to. And yeah. You can try your best to work within the system, but... You're forced to do things that you don't want to do. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's interesting, too, for Katniss and Peta's dynamic as well, because Peta, like we were saying, is very kind of free with Katniss, right? He's not afraid of revealing too much to her. It's yeah. almost like he knows that he's probably going to die. And it's not like he's given up, but he is also like... He maybe doesn't have as much motivating him as Katniss does, right? Yeah. Like Katniss really wants to go home to her mother and her sister because she feels like she has to provide for them. And Katniss is constantly second guessing Peta's strategy, right? Yes. She's like, Oh, he was really nice to me earlier. What was he trying to do? Yeah. You yeah. know? Oh, he said this thing. Did he mean it this way or did he mean it that way? And I think she's totally justified in thinking what she thinks. Yeah. Because this is a cutthroat world. This is a game where they have to fight to the death. And also the way that she's been brought up, right? But I think you quickly understand reading it and seeing it that PETA has no such, you know, mm-hmm. thoughts in his head. He's just kind of doing his thing. He's just vibing. Yeah. Living in the moment, you know. <laughs> yeah, he's baking bread in the corner. He's like, want some bread? Yeah. <laughs> Live, laugh, love, you know. I just got to say, her calling him the boy with bread constantly, I was like, shut the fuck up. <laughs> <laughs> like, I think you could have used that one line, that, yeah. that line once. and One time. And been okay, but she keeps referring to, like... <laughs> Katniss keeps getting referred to as the series goes as like the girl on fire. I know. What if PETA was equally marketed as the boy with they bread? They kind of do though. <laughs> they, they, do. they keep saying it like in the same breath almost. almost, And I'm like, this is not the same. Later on when they're doing like uh, marketing for her, yeah. it's like her with flames in the background and a bow and arrow. And, it's and then he's like has a chunk Pita ripped out. Hold, and he... Holding a loaf of whole grain. Yeah, he has like wheat. a bit in his mouth and it's yeah. been like, he's like, I got a baguette and he's ripped a piece off. <laughs> Trying to make it look tough. Yeah. <laughs> Come up with a new catchphrase for PETA. Other than the boy with bread. Yes. Yeah. Uh, there's got to be one, right? Yeah. <laughs> We'll, we'll think of one. Yeah, yeah, we'll come back to you with that. <laughs> uh, it's the morning of the Hunger Games now. Yeah. I, I love, too, that Katniss is reflecting on previous Hunger Games that she's seen, the different environments that uh, kids have had to fight in. Mm-hmm. And and 
I, I just love all these allusions to previous Hunger Games. She's like, well, there was the year that they were in, like, a tundra, a snowy wasteland. But that yeah. was boring because, like, half of them died of the cold. Yeah. And, like, that's not entertaining TV. Yeah. And then there was the one year that blah, blah, blah. But usually it's good when there's trees. Like, the, the, the crowd seems to like trees a lot. And, yeah. And, like, there's more to do with them. And mm-hmm. kind of reflecting on all the different uh, ways that the Hunger Games have played out in previous years. Yeah, and thinking about how long this might take also. Yes. Like, it's not just going to be like they go in and they fight gladiator style. Like, it's a long haul. I really wondered about that watching. I wish that she would have said, like, what the longest Hunger Games ever I was. Know. Because if you get two survivalists who don't want to encounter each other, yeah. it's kind of just up to the game masters or keepers to, like, Try, try to, to put them together either to kill them or push them together <laughs> but even if you push them together there's no guarantee they'll kill each other and yeah. it's like how far <laughs> how long has a hunger games gone on for i would love to know yes that's a good question the morning of though you know katniss is getting ready cinna is there with her to see her off which i don't really understand but okay well he made her like survival outfit yeah but they're all wearing the same outfit. No, they're not. I don't think they are. Yeah, they all wear the same survival outfit. Aren't they? Yeah. it's They're all identical. I know in the next one, they do. They all come out wearing the same thing. I yeah. thought he... Okay, I, I'm probably wrong. Maybe... But. I don't remember it being different, but like... I, I did think it was kind of weird that their stylists see them off and not their mentors, but... Maybe they have to get them looking really good. Yeah. You know, like, oh. Just in case it's their last shot. Yeah, we're going to close do a close-up on this kid as he's bleeding to death. We want yeah. him to, you don't want to see his blemishes. <laughs> uh, good pores. They, they go up, and I love that you can see in the movie that Katniss is shaking. Yeah. And that, you know, in the book, she talks about just being, like, so afraid and mm-hmm. feeling stunned. And, like, she is like tubed upwards into this arena. The one thing I thought of and like, I forget if it's described at all in the book, but at least in the film, it's just her and Cinna in the I room. I know. I'm like, and just I'm like, don't get in. Just don't get in the tube. Put Cinna in there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, like, guess what, Cinna? No one's going to push you into the tube. It doesn't, like, no one's there to do it. Yeah. Just don't go. I know. Just wait it out. Yeah. Put Cinna in there. Put Cinna. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I agree. They go up, and here we're presented with the cornucopia. Cornucopia. Of many blessings. It has supplies, weapons, food, anything that you would need to survive in this arena forest for however however long you need. But the problem is, and Hamish has talked about this to Katniss and Peeta, everybody that goes for the cornucopia has probably like a 75% chance of dying. Yeah, and essentially how it usually plays out is the careers, mm-hmm. the the children designed for murder, <laughs> uh, usually kind of conquer the mound of supplies and do a lot of the killing that happens there. Yeah. And also the quality of the supplies increases as you get closer. Like on the periphery, yeah. there's like eh, some plastic and maybe like a water bottle. Mm-hmm. But in the middle, it's like, oh, a, a minigun. Yeah. <laughs> just gonna grab that (laughs) yeah Katniss sees a bow and arrow of course she knows it's there for her and she's tempted to get it and Peeta is kind of looking at her and being like don't do it remember what Hamish said and in the confusion of all the violence and chaos that starts to happen uh, she ends up not going for him yeah she ends up having to just kind of flee for the woods she Mm -hmm. grabs a backpack that 
narrowly misses getting uh, stabbed. Knifed. Knifed, thank you. <laughs> uh, knifed by the knife girl from yeah. District 2. But she does manage to escape. The, the, uh, this bloodbath at the beginning of the film is, uh, I think they do a really good job of abstracting yeah. the violence with quick cuts and not making it too gruesome but you do see like blood splatter yeah. you know like it's not totally PG yeah and of course we get that poor curly headed kid getting murdered uh, I know I'm like he's, he's so small why the <laughs> his, sad curly headed child his curls <laughs> I know I like to seeing um, Katniss's district watching Yes. And then also the cut that we get to Gale. During the countdown. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of really good cuts in this film, like really interesting ones. That one was great where, you know, it's this big, intense countdown that it's cutting to all of the uh, competitors, the people in the district. And then Mm -hmm. it cuts to silence as we just see Gale in the woods not not watching. watching. Yeah. And that was a very impactful moment, I but thought. But you know he's thinking of her, Oh, right? yeah. You know? Yeah. yeah. That seems like a good time to discuss what is probably the most controversial aspect of this whole film, and that is the way it's shot, and specifically what many people call shaky cam. Yeah. I think it works in some scenes, and I don't, I think it doesn't work in others. Yeah. I thought it was used maybe too much at the beginning. Interesting. I think if they would have spaced it out a little bit and then used it more in the action scenes in the arena. 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 The arena. (laughs) (laughs) In the arena, that it would have been honestly less noticeable. But I think when you start out with it, it makes you hyper aware of it for, for the rest of the film. That's interesting. See, I don't mind it as much at the beginning because usually a lot of times shaky cam is used to disguise not super well choreographed action. Yeah. So that they can kind of cut around a lot and mm-hmm. you kind of just get this sense of frenetic energy without really processing what is happening. Yeah. And there are parts in this where the action does feel a bit that way. I think... I kind of like it a bit at the beginning, and part of this is also to the setting of District 12. Yeah. It's shockingly just rural and realistic to, like, it looks like a small town you would walk in. Yeah. Like, in middle of PA here. Apparently, they filmed in an abandoned town. Okay. In North Carolina. I mean, that rings true. (laughs) It really does look that way. Yeah. And the kind of documentary-style handheld camera movement Gives this story that, you know, we're going to this futuristic capital city to watch uh, children fight to the death in this televised, you know, battle royale. Uh, But the camera style and setting at the start grounds the story a lot, which I think is interesting. Yeah. My main gripe is that I feel like the way that's shot in the beginning and during the Hunger Games with kind of this loose, fast cutting, shaky cam style contrast with what's shot at the Capitol. Yeah. I think partly because there's a lot more CGI shots and Mm -hmm. it maybe doesn't feel quite as prone to that style. And maybe that's what was a conscious decision made Mm -hmm. uh, to not to film them kind of feeling different. Yeah. But I, I don't love that difference. Yeah. I'm interested to compare the other films to this one. Yeah. And how I feel about the style. I mean, I think it works for Mm -hmm. this movie. I don't necessarily have a problem with it. I think it could maybe be better. I definitely remember the next movie people talked about like, oh, they fixed the shaky camera. They did it a lot less. Or, yeah. I mean, 
I remember for for as much as people talk about it, it really didn't bother me that much. Yeah. And I was like kind of watching for it, like mm-hmm. being aware of it. But yeah, we'll have to see and compare what we think when we watch the other movies. Yeah, this will be our new segment, uh, <laughs> Shaky Watch. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Katniss goes off in the woods with her backpack and the knife that she got from almost being knifed. And we fu- we see her in the book and the movie kind of making her way through the woods. She is sleeping in trees and she is hunting. In the book, she has this desperate search for water at one point where she's yeah. trying to find a stream. But she's kind of doing okay, right? Yeah, yeah, she's holding on. Until the fire comes. Yes, she's awoken one night by the sound of stampeding animals mm-hmm. and a wall of fire is coming her way quickly. Yeah, not just fire, a bunch of fire bombs being shot at her from fire cannons. I didn't like this in the book or movie. It, it felt too against her, right? Yeah, also, you know, she can't even see them in the book. In the book it's kind of like what's happening? I know. And I think same in the movie too, suddenly just fire balls are being like flung at her from where? And I guess it's the gamekeepers. Mm -hmm. We see in the movie that the gamekeepers are actively herding her towards a location, right? Yes. And later on, we realize that they're pushing her towards the career group because they want a confrontation, right? Katniss has been off by herself for too long. They need some action in the games. Yeah, I think the movie makes a smart decision between frequently cutting back to the kind of control room of the Hunger Games where mm-hmm. we kind of see maps and what people are uh, doing. And then also to Caesar on yes. the television who will be like explaining things He's that are going commentary. on. commentary, yeah. Yeah, and at points that mechanic feels a little clunky in the film, but I also think it's a good substitute for the way Katniss is constantly thinking in the book mm-hmm. and kind of deciphering. Because even in the book, the fire that's sweeping through, she knows from watching previous Hunger Games, they're hurting me. Yeah. Because they do this to other uh There's a reason why they're doing this. Yeah. I think it also helps break up the movie a little bit. Yeah. Because, you know, we're so in the game. And then kind of to have a little bit of perspective out, I think is interesting. Yeah. And it is reminding us that this is a show, right? Mm-hmm. So it keeps that fresh in our minds, which I like. Also showing, like, where the cameras are yes. at points. Oh, yeah, in the tree. Yeah, like in the tree. Because <laughs> in the book, once again, she's just, she knows she's on camera, but from where? Yeah. Like, are there little hovering robots or are they just Drones like, everywhere. Drones, yeah. Are they just in the trees? Mm-hmm. So I, I like that detail too. But uh, yeah, Katniss, she gets really burnt Yeah. in the book and the film. And then, surprise, surprise, runs right into the careers. Yeah, she quickly runs up a tree and they can't get her, but she is shocked to discover that PETA is with the careers. Yeah. And this is where she's like, oh my God, was all that stuff about him not wanting to change and the game's a lie. Here he is with these killers. Uh-huh. But she doesn't let herself dwell on it too much because she's up a tree and they're on the ground waiting to murder her. Yes, but they can't get up the tree yeah. uh, after her. So she's safe for the moment, but she knows she doesn't have like a lot of time. Yeah, Rue... Uh, a young girl around Prim's age from District 11 kind of is in a tree next to her and, and ends up pointing out a nest of tracker jackers. And in the movie, we have Caesar giving us a background <laughs> on the tracker yeah. jackers and them basically being. And this is a concept that we kind of hear about in the book off and on less in the movie, but that the capital during the war with the districts bred all of these creepy animals 
Yeah, they're all called like mutts, yeah. which is short for mutations, which mm-hmm. I, I, I kind of like that shorthand. Yeah, we have the mocking jays that were originally supposed to record people's conversations. <laughs> yeah. Um, but then they kind of like went wild and interbreeded with other, you know, um, animals in the forest. And then we have the tracker jackers, which were meant to just kill people and also give them crazy hallucinations. <laughs> yeah, just uh, <laughs> wasps on steroids, basically. Yeah, they're like, how can we make the worst animal even worse? <laughs> <laughs> uh, so Katniss sees the opportunity in this uh, beehive and manages to chop the branch of the tree off And drop the whole thing on all of the careers that are below her. Yeah. But but getting stung, too, in the process. Yeah, she gets stung. She does take the opportunity to grab the bow and arrow from uh, Glimmer, who has been stung to death. Yep. Um, Very violently. The hallucinations are just coming on when PETA comes back and is like, you need to run. Yeah. And you're like, what's going on, PETA? And then Katniss starts running into the forest. She's... Desperately hallucinating. I love in the movie her seeing Caesar in the woods. <laughs> Stepping out of the trees. Yeah, and be like, hello. Yeah, that was great. <laughs> I also like uh, them in the film taking this opportunity to allude more to her past. Yeah, The way her dad died. There's this really cool artful shot of the walls of her house exploding. Yeah. After her dad died and then reversing that shot and reforming it and like her trying to like basically shake some sense back into her mom yeah. who's just kind of in a daze. So I thought that was a smart way of introducing this backstory mm-hmm. or elements of it in a way that didn't feel overly clunky. Yeah. She wakes up maybe a couple days later. She doesn't know, um, but finds Rue and Rue has helped her. She has given her some leaves for her stings. Yes. And the two of them decide to team up. Yeah, and Katniss knows that this might not play the best with people watching, mm-hmm. like I'm um, teaming up with this like little girl and this might make me seem weak or too soft yeah but she i and you know she sees rue and just immediately thinks of her younger sister so there is kind of a vulnerability there with her and rue yeah and i think rue i mean katniss cannot resist this right rue just trusts katniss for some reason she's just so innocent but also smart at the same time. And I think Katniss sees a lot of herself in Rue. Mm-hmm. Maybe if she wasn't so hardened by her experiences, yeah. you know, and just immediately takes Rue under her wing. And like seeing the two of them like tucked into the sleeping bag together oh at night, I was like, please stop, stop hurting me. What you're doing <laughs> right now. You're killing me. We get a little bit more time with them in the book, but not a lot. Um, because they pretty quickly decide that the only way for them to like speed things up and kind of give themselves a chance is to actually blow up or destroy all the careers food at their base camp at the cornucopia. And I really love creating this contrast between the careers and Mm -hmm. like the lower class of the contestants, because yes, the careers have been training for this and training in combat and like they're well fed and like have worked out. But Katniss is like, they're not trained like in survival the way someone like me is. Like I had to grow up hunting to like survive. Mm -hmm. They haven't had to like actually do like real manual labor ever. It's all just been training for this. They don't know how to cook. No, or like find food or Mm -hmm. like know what plants to eat. So she sees this as a way of, um, and she thinks back to previous Hunger Games in the book and thinking the only time 
a career hasn't won is situations where the food supply that the careers take has been wiped out, whether by natural causes or destruction or something like that. Yeah. I want to take a moment and just say here that I don't love the careers teaming up setup. Yeah. First of all, I just don't buy it. Mm-hmm. I don't it doesn't make sense that they would like they're the they're each other's best competition. Yeah. So I don't understand why they would feel the need to team up and hunt everyone else who's like already like below them. Yeah. And like you could just never ever trust I know. Anyone ever you're teamed up How would with. you sleep? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Unless it's a situation where it's someone from your district that you genuinely feel like connected to. Yeah. I just don't think that I just don't think it would work. I agree. Secondly, I get like a weird uh, cool kids, <laughs> like high school you can't sit with us. dynamic. Well, yeah, in the book, there's parts at lunch. Yes. All the careers when eat they're together. Training. Yeah, and everyone else eats separately. And I'm like, uh, I, I just don't like this connecting it to like this high school teen dynamic. I just don't. Yeah. It feels a little hokey. I know. It was probably the one part of this book that didn't quite land. Yeah. Like, oh, the jocks and they're, yeah. <laughs> they're, they're the ones to beat. <laughs> yeah. But I do like this plan though, right? Yeah. I think it's super smart and I love that Rue and um, Katniss are teaming up to do this. Rue is setting uh, distraction fires to lure the careers away from their camp, and then Katniss is going to go and actually destroy the food. When she gets there, she pretty quickly realizes that they have booby-trapped the food. Mm-hmm. Um, they have set the mines that were originally on their, like, launch pads yeah. to be situated around the food, so if anyone tries to steal any of their food, they'll get blown up. Yeah, but does this plan make sense for the careers? Yeah. Like, oh, we're going to blow up all of our food for the chance so we'll kill someone. to kill one person. Yeah. I mean, I think the chain reaction of mines going off and blowing the food up wasn't... Wasn't intended. Wasn't intended, but still, I mean, the stakes of doing that are really high. I know, but, like, are they dumb, though? Yeah, <laughs> that's true. But I think it's meant to seem like it's smart. Yeah. But I don't think that it is. Yeah. I know, because Katniss is pretty easily able to, like, destroy a handy like bag of apples and that causes the chain reaction. Yeah. And in the book, there's a little bit more explanation of the setup. Like they have nets yeah. around. So she doesn't think she can throw a rock, mm-hmm. but all, but in the film, there's no nets. And I remember thinking, cause I hadn't read this part in the book. I'm like, just throw a rock. Yeah. Why are you shooting arrows at a sack of apples to like get them? Just <laughs> throw some rocks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you're within range. Like you're the same distance away. If you throw a rock. Yeah. <laughs> Instead of doing this, it's more dramatic. Ian, it is with the more. Arrow. It is more dramatic. It's cinematic <laughs> and more book. It's cinema gold <laughs> and more book accurate. Honestly, yeah. Um, yeah, the book sells you. I think a little bit more in the situation and why she has to do what she does, but in the film, just throw a rock. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> Rue gets killed. Yes. So, well, I mean, so Katniss blows up the, yes, the food yes, successfully. Yes. The apples fall. The apples fall, <laughs> blow, blow everything up, and uh, the, the the jocks are all mad. I'm going to call them the jocks from now I on. I like it. it. It feels more appropriate. The jocks are pissed, and Katniss actually in the book, the explosion, like, knocks the hearing out of one of her ears. Yeah. And for the rest of the Hunger Games, like, she thinks she's, like, just going to be deaf in one year forever. I know. I think I thought that was pretty wild. Um but she eventually recovers enough to go back to her and Rue's meeting place, but Rue is not there. She retraces their steps and tries to find her and finds Rue 
you know, captured in a net. Yeah. We never really find out how this happened, but one of the other careers, one of the jocks, is there and uh, stabs Rue with a spear. I figured it was his trap. Yeah. Um, Which, by the way, this career in the film is played by Quaid. Uh, Jack Quaid. Jack Quaid. Yeah, thank you. Who mm-hmm. um, stars in The Boys. <laughs> so funny seeing him. Very early role Yeah, for like him. 10 years younger. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so he kills Rue. And then Katniss quickly kills him with an arrow through the neck. Yeah. This is such a really sad scene as Rue is dying because Katniss knows she can't can't do anything to save her. Rue is like, you have to win the game for me. And then Katniss starts to sing to her. And Uh, this is awful. Uh, That was me groaning, not like her singing. (laughs) (laughs) She's just staying there with Rue, you know, holding her as she dies. And then... You know, before she leaves her body, she decorates it with flowers. In the movie, she just gives her a bouquet. But in the book, she kind of decorates her hair, her clothes, like kind of everything around her, almost creating this image of innocence for Rue and kind of what she deserved and how she didn't deserve to die. Um, And then she does like the the symbol, right? Yes. The three-fingered salute here um, for Rue. And I think it's super interesting to see Katniss feel like she has to do this to express her grief and to also kind of rebel a little bit against the games and the system. Yeah, because in her mind, like honoring someone that has died is not really common or it's not like a thing. And it's kind of creating and her teaming up with Rue to begin with was unusual. Yeah. So it's kind of this moment of like solidarity with District 11 where Rue is from. Mm -hmm. And the book and movie play this out differently in the book. uh, Katniss receives a loaf of bread that she knows is kind of the signature bread of District 11. Yeah. She figures it was meant for Rue, but they sent it to her since she had died as kind of a token of thanks. Yeah, as an honoring for Katniss. And she comments on how this never happens, right? Other districts would never support another player other than, you know, someone from their own district. And this is like a rare moment of solidarity among the districts. And we see the consequences of this in the film that the people of District 11 start rioting. Yeah. We see the peacekeepers trying to break things up, but we just like see the anger that you know is always bubbling under the surface to watch their children be murdered on live TV. But to just see someone like Katniss acknowledge the sadness and tragedy of that, I think broke something in them and and instigated this riot, right? And I think it's interesting to point out with like the riots happening in the movie, they don't happen in the books, or at least we don't hear about them. Um, And the bread that Katniss receives, this idea of like, Keeping the districts really like separate. Yeah. Having them compete with each other for money and for food every year and having their kids kill each other. Um, and it really being like a class division, right? Because it's easier to keep people separate when they think that each other are the enemy and not the people in power. It's amazing because this theme is both. You know, it, it, it's worked into so many other stories Yeah. Uh, that, you know, I think many of us have read or watched, but it, it's so true. And mm-hmm. it's so sad how easy it is to see in our day to day lives, how the people 
that are actual like yes a lot of people will call out uh you know the elites of society and mm-hmm. the, the one percenters so to speak who are really holding all the wealth and causing so many of like our actual problems in society yeah. but how people get so fixated on divisions of race divisions of you know between states or political parties mm-hmm. or like over issues that you know it's not that they're not important, but they're not the things that actually affect us the most day to day. Yeah. And how, you know, what so many people would call the the culture wars, right? Um, yeah. And, you know, we see that so clearly in our real lives. And I think what Suzanne Collins did with the Hunger Games and the metaphor of these districts and dividing them up and in the book Katniss comments about how she really doesn't know that much about the other districts and yeah. how that's kind of by design mm-hmm. that you don't ever see them or associate with them or even know much about them. Yeah, to keep them from joining up, to keep them from fighting against Pan Am because they are actually probably more, there's more of them and they might have more power than they realize if they were able to unite again after the rebellion where they did unite and fought the Capitol, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. By the way, we just watched uh, A Bug's Life recently, <laughs> which has very similar themes. Yeah, similar themes. Yeah, and yeah. Is, is a great movie to revisit. We highly recommend it. <laughs> but yeah, uh, th- just I think this scene really touches on something that th- this story does really effectively. Like, it's not exactly a subtle message. No. But I think it's very well-constructed where it makes sense within this dystopian society, mm-hmm. but is also still super applicable to our lives currently. Yeah, I totally agree. We see in the movie, actually, you know, Hamish kind of p- using this as an opportunity to pitch his candidates to yeah. Seneca Crane, the head game maker. And he's sort of like, hey, people are riding. Maybe you should distract them. You know what distracts people? Romance. (laughs) (laughs) Good love story. And then we see Seneca meeting with President Snow. And I love these scenes. They're great. That he has with Snow in his creepy rose garden. And this idea that, and you know, this at least, maybe this is drawn from other stories. Yeah. um, Because the book is a limited, it's first person perspective from Katniss. Yeah. We never get any kind of outsider perspective that she doesn't witness firsthand. Mm Mm-hmm. But these parts fill in really well, not only what's going on outside of the Hunger Games, but also the motives of the Capitol and of Snow. Yeah. Because he gives a really good line about hope Mm -hmm. being a necessary but dangerous thing. Yeah. How if people had like no hope in the districts that they would push back and probably revolt. Mm -hmm. But if you give them like just a little bit, like just a taste of hope, something to feel good about. Yeah. That... That's good for them as long as it can be contained. It's enough control. Yeah. And I love the comment too, like Seneca being like, everybody loves an underdog and President Snow (laughs) being like, I don't. (laughs) (laughs) I love that line. Um, But the power situation there is so interesting. And but then we get to see this play out when the announcement is made that oh, two district, two tributes can win if they're from the same district. How pissed off would you be if, if you, you had just killed yeah. your other member? <laughs> You're like mid, like knife what? stab. Still going, still stabbing. Oh my God. Yeah. Or like if you're just like on your own at this point, you're like, like, what the fuck? I know. Um, but 
Katniss is immediately like, oh my god, I have to find Peeta. Yeah. Because he's still alive and we can team up now. Mm-hmm. And she had heard that Peeta was maybe injured somewhere near the river. Yeah. So she heads that way to try to find him and she's tracking him. She sees some blood. She's trying to find out where he is and then she accidentally steps on him. <laughs> Oh my god, his face coming out of the mud and her being like, oh my god, PETA. And I feel like it's a real reaction. In in the film, like he's sculpted his head into the rocks. Yeah. Like he can't move. How would he do that? I'm like, how this isn't sustainable. He I know. He has to be able to drink water, right? <laughs> he just opens his mouth a little bit he's and like, like ah. Like, if I'm Katniss and I'm in this, like, survival game where, like, mutant dogs or mutant something can come after me and I see a rock with a face on it, I'm stabbing it. I'm not not pausing. If something grabs me, I'm I'm stabbing. Yeah. uh, She realizes it's Peter, though. Um, And he is very gravely injured. He has, like, a really bad gash in his leg that Kato, the lead jock, uh, gave to him. She's she manages to get them to like a cave where they can kind of hunker down together. But obviously they're in a bad situation, right? Because Pete is injured. Katniss doesn't want to leave him, but he's also somewhat of a liability for her because she can't be up safe in her tree and like away from all the action. Now she's tied to him. Yeah. And the cave isn't like probably the most secure or safe spot, but there's so few tributes at this point mm-hmm. that she kind of risks staying with him to uh mend him yeah and to nurse him back to health here's the thing the book is really gross yeah <laughs> we haven't really <laughs> talked about it yet the book is way more grisly and violent and yeah. it talks about his like open leg wound that you can see the bone no. and it's just oozing pus and no. he <laughs> and smells and he's like how's it look and and he's like, kiss me. <laughs> kiss my feverish, sweaty lips. I mean, but Katniss knows, right, that in order for the two of them to survive, you know, they're going to need medicine and they're going to need sponsors. And the only way to do that is to sell them something. And so she immediately starts playing up the romance aspect with PETA. She was like, I, I needed to come find you. She, They kiss, right? She's very tender with him. We get messages from Hamish in the movie just very directly. Like he just sends <laughs> yeah. her texts basically and he's like, "You call that a kiss?" <laughs> JFC kiss better. Yeah. <laughs> um but in the book it's more like her being kind of accurately able to interpret what Hamish wants from her. Yeah, it's commented on later by Peta that Katniss is similar to Hamish in a way. Yeah. And she's able to understand kind of almost messages from him just by deliveries or lack of deliveries. Yeah. Like at one point when she's dying of dehydration, she's like asking for water and mm-hmm. not getting it. And she's like, is Hamish just being a douchebag? Like, yeah. why is this happening? But then she's like, the only reason I can think he wouldn't send water is if I was like already really close to it. Yes. And sure enough, she is. Yeah. She's very thoughtful in that way. Yeah. And I really like that aspect of the book that she's very easily, she she's quick to be able to read into all of this stuff. And she and Hamish almost seem to have a mental communication, like, yeah. which is cool. But like the two of them start to, you know, get, not get to know each other more, but we find out about PETA, like, 
being in love with her since they were little. Oh my god. It's so cute. It's so cute and it's so sad. I know. He's like, you were so little and cute and you sang this song in class and you were just so spunky and cool and I was immediately like, oh my god, she's so cool. <laughs> <laughs> and Katniss like feels really kind of uncomfortable at first with like yeah. this whole dynamic like, oh, you're on TV and you have to pretend that you're in love with this person that mm-hmm. you really don't know how you feel about at this moment, but you know, you really play it up and kiss him a lot. Yeah. And she is like, oh, Pete is so much better at it than I am. But she mm-hmm. kind of works her way into it. And I find this dynamic to be so, so, so interesting and good in this story. It's like maybe my favorite thing about at least this first book. Yeah. Because you get the sense that PETA is a decent person, but you understand why Katniss is suspicious of him. Yeah. And they do seem to have a genuine bond. And you're like, their dynamic is good. And it feels like, that they could be together, mm-hmm. but also they're being forced to be they're together. They're being manipulated. They're being pushed into it way too fast, and it's kind of like... Ruining a, it. Yeah, and it has to be this act, and maybe it could be real if they were able to do it, you know... Naturally. Naturally, but mm-hmm. they can't. Yeah, seeing Katniss's feelings for Peter develop, I think, is an interesting part of the story because she does care about him, right? Yeah. And she comments in the book about really not wanting to be alone, no. And how no. how much of a relief it was when she teamed up with Rue to be with someone again and then finding Peta and feeling comfortable with him and just needing that somebody to care about you, somebody to rely on a little bit, even though Peta's in bad shape. Like, And she does care about him and want him to live and want the, wants the two of them to survive. And then they're kind of offered this opportunity, right? Peta's getting worse. And there's another announcement that there is going to be a feast and at the feast, everybody who's still left in the game will get will be able to get something that they desperately need. Yes. In the book, in both versions, Pete is like, don't go. Yeah. And Katniss is like, okay. And in the book, uh, <laughs> Haymitch is like, hey, here's some roofies. <laughs> Just knock him out. Just drug him so you can go. Yeah. Here, here's a club. Just uh, give him a whack on the head. I know, because Pete in the book threatens to just crawl out of the cave after her until he dies. Until a bear eats him. Yeah. <laughs> um, so she does have to drug him in order to sneak out. In the movie, I like her just watching him sleep. And you can see her kind of decide to go, right? Yeah. She can see he's suffering and she's like, I'm going to go. And she mm-hmm. goes. So she gets to the cornucopia. There, the bags for each of the remaining districts are laid out. She knows there's medicine in there for PETA. Mm-hmm. Fox-faced uh, girl who's clever was hiding the cornucopia and grabs hers quickly. Mm-hmm. And Cass is like, it's now or never. Yeah. She is intercepted by... Clove. Clove, the girl. The knife girl. Knife girl from District 2. Yeah. Knife girl pins her down. Katniss thinks it's all over for her. And Knife Girl, instead of going in for the kill, chooses to gloat instead. Yes. And is like, ooh, we killed your little friend, and now we're going to kill you, that little stupid girl that was so little and tiny and innocent. (laughs) (laughs) You're lame, and nobody likes you, and you're not going to get a date to the homecoming. (laughs) (laughs) You'll never make the cheerleading squad. (laughs) Um, Unfortunately, Thresh, who is also from Rue's district, hears... Clove talking about killing Rue and he's like did you kill her yeah and she's like no it wasn't me I I didn't kill her I just like heard about it whatever (laughs) but Thresh uh ends up beating the shit out of Clove with a rock yeah and murdering her I like the 
general setup of this scene of Thresh saving Katniss and agreeing to yeah not spare her to spare her for what she did for Rue. It the, th- the situation's a little contrived. It is definitely that Clove is like, I'm not going to kill you just yet, and I'm also going to gloat about <laughs> killing a girl that I didn't actually kill. Also, yeah. uh, the <laughs> Thresh other, happens to be nearby. Thresh is just right behind. Excellent me. hearing. <laughs> <laughs> what was that? <laughs> yeah, so Katniss is able to get away with the medicine. Cato, who's left, uh, goes after Thresh, and she gives the medicine to Peta, and he's able to recover. Yes, his super gross leg wound is substantially less gross, but still gross. Yeah, and we'll see what happens to his leg later. <laughs> his oh, legs God. do not do well. Is it, do you think it's the same I leg? I think it's probably the same I leg. Hope I hope it's the hope same, it's the same <laughs> leg. <laughs> It'd be terrible if it was a different leg. I know. We get this part... After they've recovered, where they're kind of like, well, we know we have to face off with Kato because it's like us and Kato and Foxface left. Yeah. So they're kind of making their way back to the cornucopia. And this is a scene where Foxface unexpectedly dies because she eats some bad berries. (laughs) Yeah, because PETA was picking them for them to eat. Yeah. Not knowing they were poison. (laughs) And then she's like, "Mm, berries. Yeah. dies and i love how Peta kind of like feels bad about this i know because he kind of accidentally killed her <laughs> and katniss is like it's fine Peta. like yeah. it literally wasn't even your fault and he's like yeah but you know <laughs> i do love this part though about katniss being genuinely worried about Peta's welfare right yeah. she's upset and worried when she can't hear him and when she thinks that he ate the berries yeah the scenes play out a little bit differently in the book and the movie but we get a similar reaction where she's like hugging him and is like oh my god i was so worried Mm -hmm. right you know and we're seeing some of her concern and care for him come out in that moment yeah yeah uh so they are making their way now to the cornucopia and in the movie they hear the dogs on their way yeah uh who let the dogs out? It was the capital. <laughs> it was the capital. <laughs> it was the They've been manipulating everything this whole time. Oh my god, Ian. In the book, the wolf dogs are the people who have died? This makes no sense. To I me. I I needed more explanation. <laughs> I did. I remember too. being confused about it when I first read this book. That was quite a while ago, though. Yeah. And I was like, maybe it'll make more sense now. It doesn't. No. There's a few parts in this book. That I do get a little confused on. Yeah. The description's either a little fast or it's a little too vague. Jumbled. Or jumbled. And this is one of the parts where I'm like, I don't understand. Like, are they, are those actually the bodies of the kids? Did they just, like, use their DNA Mm -hmm. to, like, make these wolf did they cut out their eyes and just insert them? Like, yeah. what happened? What's ha- Also, in the book, they are, like, humanoid. Yeah. They're, like, on their back. They're, like, werewolves. Yeah. Hmm. I, I, I think the movie probably yeah, the movie's made a like, good choice. They're just gross and weird. And they're just big dogs. Big dogs. Yeah, exactly. Let's leave it at that. We have a confrontation, though, because they're being chased by the mutts. You know, PETA and Katniss are able to get onto the cornucopia um, but Peta's leg in the book is like shredded. Yeah, dog gets its uh gets its chompers on yeah. Peta's leg and, and takes a big bite out of it. Yeah, and then Cato is like, I'm gonna take Peta down with me, basically. Yeah, I really liked the inclusion in the movie 
of a scene with Kato or this part. Yeah. Where he's kind of like, I'm going to die anyway. And I you, know. you can just, because he's the whole time been this like dedicated killer, kind of sociopathic. sociopathic and like devoid of any empathy. But in this moment, you can kind of see how uh, tormented he is by everything that he's That's gone happened. through. And then, yeah. yeah. And Katniss manages to shoot his hand with an arrow. Peta pushes him and he falls to uh, the dogs below. Yeah. In the movie, he is being attacked and Katniss is like, I'm just going to put him out of his misery. Yeah. And she does. And she does. In the book, (laughs) uh, he is wearing like full body armor. Yeah. Which is good for arrows and bad for dogs (laughs) because... He's just kind of getting mauled to death. But like really slowly. Forever. Yeah. I don't understand this, Ian. This is another thing that doesn't quite make sense, right? Because he's wearing body armor, but she is describing him being like killed to death slowly. You know, killed to death. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) He's being killed slowly. But I'm like, but what part of him is being killed? Yeah, and also his head is still exposed. Yeah, they would have just ripped a chunk out of his face and he would have been dead. But also they do talk about like, oh, the Capitol wants this to be drawn out because yeah. it's kind of the finale. But like, does that mean the dogs are like, hey, we know what we're doing, guys. Like, we're yeah. going to take our time Just like an one. ear here and there. Yeah, like... but they also seem like vicious animals. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I couldn't tell if they were just like breaking his body but he's just like in this like sausage casing of a suit so it's just like all his broken bones and just everything Rattling just around. like loose in the suit but yeah, he can't die i think this was like i mean it is really gruesome and awful but i think it could have been explained more and also i don't know how necessary it was it's a lot i think it was mainly to draw out the suspense of like oh Peter's leg wound he's is, bleeding out yeah he's bleeding out and they have to like spend all night in the elements of the cold because he is still being mauled to death all night. Yeah. And for like, hours. I, I get it. Like Katniss can't see, so she can't shoot him. Yeah. Right. Because it's dark. But also I'm like, I mean, you could have tried to shoot him, Katniss. <laughs> like you could have. You can you can hear out of one ear at least. Does she like, only, does, oh, she, has, she has the glasses, though, doesn't she? They left their supplies by the lake. Oh, OK. Yeah, I know. I thought the same thing. Yeah, God. I'm like, come on. I distinctly remembered this part of the book. And yeah. it be, I'm like, this is one of the most upsetting, awful things I've ever read. <laughs> and it's in this young adult. I know. Novel. I, I do think this was too much. I I agree. It just felt um, gratuitous. And- yeah. And I liked what the movie did with giving Cato this kind of moment. Right. And that line that he says about. For the honor of my district. Yeah. Right? And you know that that's probably, like, the line that he was fed his whole life. Yeah. And him kind of throwing it back out right then Mm -hmm. felt really good. Yeah, I thought this was a really great inclusion in the Mm -hmm. film. When Cato is finally put out (laughs) of his fucking misery, uh, the dogs are called back. Who let the dogs in? It was the Capitol. So... You know, uh, Katniss and Peta are like, "Great, we cool, won. We did this, right?" Yeah. In the book, Peta, his he's bleeding out. Yeah, and they're waiting, and then suddenly uh, there is an announcement. <laughs> uh, imagine like your your school announcement, like yeah. ding dong buzzer, loudspeaker, loudspeaker, and they're like, um. Yeah, uh, we made a mistake. Remember when we said that thing earlier? Forget that. Yeah, <laughs> uh, we redact that thing. 
uh, about two victors. There can only be one victor. Uh, mm-hmm. That is all. That that that's all. Yeah, of course, Katniss and Pete are stunned, but at the same time, they're like, "We should have known." That this was their plan. Yeah, they to just make an even more dramatic finale of them having to kill each other. Yeah, of course, Peta is like, it's okay. I'm already half dead. You can kill me. It, it's, <laughs> it'll be fine. I want to die. Like, do it. It's yeah. good. Yeah. I really liked the drama, the more drawn out drama of this in the uh, in the book. Yeah. Like, Peta takes off, like, the uh, tourniquet of his leg. Yeah. So I just let himself bleed out. And mm-hmm. Katniss is, like, trying not to let him. Mm-hmm. And then this is... and. He says a line about they have to have their victor, and this is what gives Katniss the idea of what if we do a double suicide <laughs> <laughs> live on TV? No victor. She yeah. gets the berries out, and she's like, "No, like you know, I I won't do this without you." And so the two of them the, they decide to take the berries together, and she's very much like, "Trust me, Peta." Yeah, they will hopefully. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> make us the victors instead of watching us die. Yeah, I love this moment. Where Peta just touches her brain. I love this moment too. Like, I don't know why. It's like he thinks that he might die in this yeah. moment, right? He does trust her, but he's also like, this could be it. And he just kind of touches her brain. It's very tender. Yeah. Like he's still just kind of in love with her. Yeah. And like not maybe sad about dying and is just happy to be with her. I know. It, I know. Just the wreck s- me. The- <laughs> <laughs> fucking destroy me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it's just really touching and sweet. It's like the tiniest I know. detail that I almost feel like Josh Hutcherson like improvised. I yeah. don't know. I could be just totally making or that. like day of the director was like, hey, what if you like touch? Yeah, your brain, you yeah. Know? It just felt very natural. Yeah. But of course, before they're able to uh, swallow the berries, the announcement comes up that, mm-hmm. hey, hey, wait, wait, just wait. Okay, no, All yeah. right. Yeah. Well, you know what? We make the rules. We'll just change the rule. You <laughs> yeah. two can both totally win. It's fine. You win. OK, <laughs> that was a test. That was a test and you passed. You All passed. right. <laughs> and so they are um, beamed up onto a ship. Yeah. In the uh, book, Peta immediately goes into surgery. Yeah. Uh, like, seems like he's on death's door and might die. Yeah. And Katniss is just, like, in shock and mm-hmm. just, like, on, like, adrenaline going and freaking out. Yeah. We find out later in the book that Peta ends up losing his leg. Oh, my God. They could not save it. I forgot about that detail. <laughs> yeah. Not, not in the film. No. So that's dramatic. But we find out, too... That the Capitol and the president, President Snow, is pissed about what happened. I love this aspect of the story mm-hmm. and where that leads us off to the end of the story and leading us into the next book. Yeah. This idea that, and, and you know, Katniss and Peta have to play up this love angle of the mm-hmm. relationship and the idea of like, oh my God, we only did it because we couldn't ever be apart. Yes. I couldn't stand the idea of him dying or I couldn't stand her dying and Mm -hmm. we just had to do that. But like it really could have seemed like or it did seem like a big fuck you to the Capitol. And I mean, it was. It was. It literally was Katniss outsmarting them. Yeah. And that's not a good message to show in your annual event to try to remind people uh-huh. not that you cannot outsmart us. Yes. You see this girl doing that. So Hamish immediately is like, Katniss, like, you're in trouble. Like, they might, like, they might assassinate you guys yeah. to take you out, Your right? family's in trouble. Like, yeah. you have to keep up this, like, fake dating thing at yeah. least for a while. <laughs> oh, my God. I love that this is, like, such a romance trope, right? Like, fake dating, but they made it, like, life or death. <laughs> yeah, and, like, so genuine and, I know. like, gripping and 
a realistic depiction of what that might be like between two people who could be together. Yeah, it's very good. And, and we see like Katniss and Peeta doing an interview with Caesar Flickman um, and them really portraying this in love idea. God, in the book, she just has to sit with Peeta on a couch and <laughs> yeah. is just like draping herself over him and, and giggling. like giggling and resting her head and taking her shoes off and just yeah. like curling up. I'm like, oh my God, this is like. What an act. <laughs> Katniss is so not suited to this. Yeah, I know. We get, though, them finally being able to return to their district on the train. And there's this scene with PETA. And this whole time as things, as they're going home, in the book anyway, Katniss has been like, I do care for PETA, I think, but I'm being forced into this narrative that I don't think is 100% true. Yeah. And I don't know what to do about it. And poor Peta is kind of blindsided by this. He yeah. thought like her affections were genuine at this point. Mm-hmm. And to find out that she at least like doesn't know how she feels is like kind of really devastating to him. I know. Poor Peta. Poor Peta. He just thought that she liked him. I know. <laughs> but he's like giving her space, but he's I like know. still upset about it. It's really sad. The movie doesn't really address this. No. It hints at there being some tension and obviously the danger of the capital is there. Yes. And we get a great scene in the movie of Seneca Crane, the game maker. This is one of my favorite, <laughs> like, I don't know how to put it. It's not like an execution scene. Yeah. But it is, basically. It's just so The power perfect. play, right? Locking him in the room and him realizing, like, wait, the doors are locked. And yeah. just seeing the bowl of the berries. The fancy bowl. And you, they don't even have to show it. Yeah. You just know... That he's dead. He's dead. And it's basically like, here's a mercy killing. Yeah. Like, you can either eat the berries or we'll kill you in probably a way worse way. Yeah. And just the fact that they don't have to show what actually happens to him. I know. Was brilliant. Perfectly done. I thought it was so good. Yeah. And this is how the story ends, right? They've returned home, but what is still at stake, right? And also, what about their love? I know. <laughs> and also, I remember finishing this book and being like, "What? Uh, what? What's the next book?" Yeah, they're like, "They're that, done." That was the Hunger Games. They're done. <laughs> they're out of the Hunger That's Games. That's it. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you'll find out. Yeah. If you don't know, which you probably do. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, uh, oh which one? God. Which one is better, Ian? I this is one of those moments where I'm like I haven't even I haven't thought about this at all. Yeah. But I I do think I know and I I think I have to go with the book on this one. I agree. I think the movie does a lot of smart things to kind of fill in the gaps that the movie or the the book can't address. I oftentimes feel like first person perspectives in books are too limiting sometimes. Yeah. Where I'm like okay, the way this character comes across information is really contrived. Yeah. Or, like, these circumstances that clues them into, like, what's going on are silly. But the book does it so well. I know. In terms of just Katniss's knowledge of previous Hunger Games and understanding, oh, like, they're hurting me at this Mm -hmm. point or, like, there's going to be a finale at this point. Yeah. Filling in a lot of that stuff and also just being so in her head about, her relationship with PETA. Yeah. And just her feelings on so much of what's going on. She's just a, such a strong character. Yes. And that comes through really well. Like, it's so easy to root for her. Yeah. Because she is her own person, but she's very strong and she has a lot of agency, which I think is really great, right? She has this romance, but she's not 
I don't know, there's more to her than that. And I like being able to get and to see a lot of her strengths and a lot of her strength, not just physically and intellectually, but like her strength of character, right? You want to be someone like Katniss, I think. Yeah, and I mean, Jennifer Lawrence just embodies her so well Mm -hmm. just her her toughness her kind of quiet resolve her difficulty in doing the whole (laughs) pomp and circumstance of like uh the showiness of it all and uh I, i mean just perfect casting obviously for her and you know barring like a few things the movie that i thought maybe could have been done a little bit better it feels a little low budget Mm mm-hmm for this kind of movie, it did. The budget was a little under eighty million, yeah. which for a franchise film like this, for comparison, the following film was one hundred thirty million, yeah. Which you can see in a lot mm-hmm. of the effects and the scale of everything, yeah. But uh, there are points in this where it feels like a little bit too mm-hmm. small budget, yeah. And this is such a great film, honestly. It's pretty close for me. I think. If the movie was just like a little bit better, it might have edged out the book. Yeah. But I I really loved the book and I think the book's quality does stand out a bit from the movie. But I'm I'm really impressed with both of them and I think they work well together. It's worth noting too that Suzanne Collins wrote the script for this. Did she? That's, yeah. You, that's really interesting because I remember reading that uh, it took, I think, a couple of years for the script to be bought and mm-hmm. produced. And but it did the script ended up on what's called, I think, the blacklist. Yeah. Which is every year scripts for movies that weren't made but are kind of considered really good scripts. Mm-hmm. And in like 2010, I think this script was on the blacklist. Yeah. So Yeah. Um there were some other writers that revised it after she did her yeah. version. But um I think this is the only movie though that she wrote the screenplay for. Interesting. Yeah. So it'll be interesting to talk about the other episodes and you know the other book and movie um comparisons to see what changes here. Yeah. Because yeah. we get a different director, we'll get different screenwriters, mm-hmm. we get a higher budget, a lot changes. Yeah, I'm really excited to to keep going because I remember especially liking Catching Fire the film mm-hmm. and the book too. I think yeah. both not to say this early or anything, but like both I think are the peak of the franchises. Yeah. But I may feel differently on a rewatch That's true. And, and reread. I yeah. did about Harry Potter. The fifth book was my least favorite, and Mm -hmm. then it was my favorite, so. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I'm excited to do the rest of the series, but for this episode, we choose the book. Let's do lightning round. Let's get to the lightning. Okay, so first up for lightning round, I have to give a shout out to Suzanne Collins um, and her other book series, The Underland Chronicles. So The Hunger Games is definitely YA, and then The Underground Chronicle, Underland Chronicles are uh, more middle grade, so kind of more for elementary middle school but age then, then again i feel like you could elevate her stuff like I her know, ya book is kind dark. of really dark and yeah. more of a uh adult novel and i think underland chronicles are like i there's <laughs> some intense shit in there yeah yeah but so here's the thing like if you think that you're above reading ya or middle grade books you're wrong because <laughs> you know kids and teen literature is can be just as good if not better than adult literature and something interesting about writing for a younger audience is like you have to make your point more concise yeah and you have to really drill down into what you want right mm-hmm. and the, the the stuff that you write has to be sharper you know what i mean smaller but in an effective way i also feel like she does a good job in the same way jk rowling does of creating characters that on one hand are like kind of simplistic yeah but also very interesting in the way that they work into the story Mm -hmm. and you know um 
Yeah, she's just a fantastic writer. Yeah, and the Underland Chronicles, I read these books before I read The Hunger Games, and they're really good. It's about this boy who ends up falling into this underground world below New York City where these humans are in battle with these life-sized rats and bats and all of these creatures that live down there together. But, you know, her books all focus on war and children and teenagers being brought up in a world where there's war all around them and having to be like forced to do things that they don't want to do um and kind of the toll that that has on people so her stories are just so interesting please read the underland chronicles if you haven't read them they're so good yeah uh you have read the first two to Mm me uh which has been very fun and i've they've, they've been great books they're so entertaining yeah um first up for lightning round for me is there's a moment really early on in the book where Katniss is talking about Gale. Yeah. And how they both have like really like kind of dark brown chestnut hair and how maybe they're like dis- <laughs> distantly related or distant cousins. But like that's not like that big of a deal. Right? Yeah. And I'm like, don't like just you, know, no, you don't have to say you that. don't have to talk about that. That's <laughs> like kind of just a little weird to bring up. Yeah. Just Why the, would you say that, though? Just you just don't talk about it. Yeah. You could just say you kind of looked alike, but you were not related. Yeah. I mean. <laughs> not in any meaningful way. <laughs> uh, next for lightning round. I just wanted to mention that in the book, they say that. The arenas for past Hunger Games are turned into like tourist destinations. I thought this was such a great detail. I know. And people can go and take trips and like relive the moments from the Hunger Games. And this just, you know, also reminded me of in the book when uh, Peta and Katniss have to sit and watch the three hour recap. Oh, my God. The video recap of the Hunger Games. They just lived it. And then they're like, guess what? We've edited it down like all that footage into our director's cut. like the Hunger Games. Here's your top five traumatic moments. Yeah. (laughs) And I'm like, oh my God, these poor people. And then they're on camera on stage, but have to be like happy about this They're like, oh, here's the reaction video too. I'm like, there have to have been so many former winners that just have like a nervous and emotional breakdown. I know, on stage. Yeah, like there's no way (laughs) every winner has like held it together and been like, ha ha. Uh, Finally for lightning round, just like a silly kind of funny scene is that like, Peta's like one notable uh, skill, at least before you get know about the camouflage, is just like he can kind of lift and throw heavy objects. Like sacks of flour. Like sacks of flour. And so <laughs> and in the training center when he's starting to look weak, I think this is the same in the book too, but it just comes across like really funny in the film where Peta just like walks up to this big like handled wrecking ball looking yeah. thing and just has to like, fling it across the room. Yeah. And then like the 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 jock kids are like, oh, all right. Oh yeah, no, he's okay. He's kind of cool. All right. Like, what a silly weird What a moment. mating ritual that's going on here. <laughs> uh, but uh that's it for lightning round for us. Thank you so much for listening to the first of our Hunger Games episode. Yeah. Uh, we loved getting to talk about this one and look forward to the others. Mm-hmm. If you would like to support us, you can do so on Patreon. All our patrons get access to a lot of really cool stuff, including our Discord and some bonus uh, episodes every month. Monthly but bonus episodes. Monthly bonus monthly episodes. Monthly bonus. That's every month. That's like 50% more content. It is. And they're they're good shit on there. We just did one <laughs> um, that's coming out soon about uh, the Mission Impossible movie. 
gummies because we had a marathon recently. Yeah, yeah. Um, but you also get um, priority episode requests. So if you really want us to do an episode and you become a patron and suggest it to us, we put it on our list right away. So um, become a patron. And if you can't do that, you can always give us a star rating on Spotify or on Apple Podcasts. Yeah, those really help with the algorithm and us just being more prominent on those platforms and recommended. And yeah, it's uh, very, very helpful. And thanks again for listening to this episode. And we'll see you next time. See you next time. And may the odds be ever in your favor. (laughs) Thank you. I can't believe we went this whole episode without once saying, may the odds be ever in your favor. Okay. Bye for real. Okay. Bye.